0: Good evening everyone. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So glad to be back again on another Tuesday night for another episode of For Such a Time as This. On tonight, we have Brother Reverend John Mason, myself, Reverend G. Lewis Tillman, Uh, Brother Sam had to work tonight, so he is not with us, but nevertheless, we are here tonight to continue what we started on the last Thursday night, um, which is talking about the Christian life. So before we go any further, we're going to ask Reverend Mason if he would lead us in a word of prayer, and we will go from there.
1: Father, we're coming for you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for another day you allowed us to see. Thank you for life, health, and strength. Lord, those are some of the things sometimes we take for granted, Father, but we want to recognize you in giving us that tonight, Father, and just sparing our lives one more time. Thank you for another night of such a time as this ministry, Father. And, Lord, we ask today that you lead us and guide us into all truths. Know that your word said that's what your spirit would do. And so, Lord, we're trusting you tonight to do that for us tonight. And by your spirit, illuminate us, cause us to see and understand the very truth that he leads us into. And Father, help us tonight, Lord, to use it, Lord. Give us the wisdom that we need. Yeah, Let us get knowledge and understanding out of what we're going to do present tonight, Father. Help us, Lord, to expound on your word tonight, Father, to where we make it so simple, Father, that a little child could understand it. Father, we ask that someone be blessed tonight by what we say, and our prayers that someone would receive Jesus Christ, your son, as their Savior. Father, we thank you for it right now. We believe it's done. Uh, We just thank you for it right now. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Amen
0: and amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Reverend Mason, for that (laughs) prayer. Um, On tonight, as we said, we want to continue on with um, the lesson we started on last week. Um, Talking about the Christian life, Reverend Mason, and um, what, what the Christian life is about. Um, what it takes to be a Christian, Um, living the Christian life, and a host of other things that we talked about. And so on last week, we actually dealt with um, the salvation process. And then we went on into some of people's perspectives of the Christian life and things of that nature. And so what we want to continue to do on tonight is to continue to build off of what we've already started. Um, And we had someone ask us if we would go back over the salvation process, what all salvation is, what salvation entails, and things of that nature. So I'm going to step back and let you answer that question for them, if you will. And tonight we'll be looking at um, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Go ahead and give me in line with what the words say, what salvation is. Thank you, Lord.
1: Well, uh, according to the Bible, uh, when we think about salvation, it's basically God delivering us from the penalty, from the power, and the uh, presence of sin. Um, immediately after someone's uh believing in jesus uh right then god delivers us from that penalty of sin uh which we know that the penalty of sin is eternal damnation because all of us are eternally damned whether we know it or not and uh, when god uh sent his son he sent him to pay the penalty Uh, for sin for us and uh, that eternal damnation. And so uh, that immediately, uh, right then, we are delivered from that. And also, not just the penalty of sin, but we're also delivered from the power of sin. And when I say the power of sin is that uh sin masters our lives so it has the the master over our lives we we can't help but to sin because sin uh, rules us controls us and when we accept christ as lord and savior uh he delivers us from that uh mastery or that that power of control over our lives and when we finally see the lord face to face uh we will be free now from that very presence of sin. And so right now as long as we're here on the earth we're not going to be free from the presence of sin sin is always going to be present. And so but he's going to eventually deliver us from that presence of sin. So salvation includes not only our souls but our bodies as well, which will be resurrected on the last day.
0: Someone may wonder or someone may not totally understand what sin is. Sin comes from a Greek word, harmatia. Harmatia means to miss the mark. It's like you got someone with a bow and arrow, an archer, and his target is away from him. And he or she takes the arrow, put it in the bow. And their aim is to hit the mark, hit the bullseye. Yeah. yeah. And so what they do is sometimes they hit it. Sometimes. But more it. often than not,
1: <laughs> Exactly.
0: we don't hit the mark. And God has a mark. God has a standard. And oftentimes we miss that standard. That's what sin is, when we miss God's standard. It's true. Um, On this side of heaven, from the world's perspective, we'll never be sinless. We'll never be perfect. Right. From the world's perspective, Mm -hmm. but as Christians, Because of all that has been done for us, because of the price that was paid, thank you, Lord, for the price Jesus paid on Calvary. Even though we won't be sinless, and you guys will probably hear us say this throughout the duration of our time, as for such a time as this. Even though we won't be sinless, Christians ought to sin mm-hmm. less. Right. We ought to sin less. Um, remember when Jesus was on the cross and they were picking at him and saying he saved others mm-hmm. let him save himself? Yeah. I think three times they told him this. It will now be the cross come down. Yeah. And even one time Well, initially, both thieves were picking at him, but one of them initially, I mean, eventually stopped. Right. But the other one said, if God be the Christ, save yourself and us too. Right. That word say means to be in harm or danger Mm -hmm. in the Greek. Right. So that's why he didn't come down. Mm -hmm. He wasn't in in any harm or danger. Right. He was in fulfillment.
1: It's true.
0: He was right where he was supposed to be. And had he come down from the cross, our souls would be lost. So I, for one, am glad. I hate he had to do what he had to do, but I'm glad he did it, and I'm glad he didn't come down. So when we talk about salvation, we were rescued from danger. We were in danger of hell, of spending eternity in hell. It got to the point where God, where the blood of goats and bullocks and pigeons and doves wouldn't do anymore. Right. So he had to have a perfect sacrifice. He mm-hmm. had to have a perfect sacrifice. And so when he did, when he chose the only sacrifice he could, there was, it was Jesus. And Jesus came down and fulfilled that. He was the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice. He was the one and for all sacrifice. No more having to have blood and goats and the priest going once a year into the temple for man's sin. Jesus paid it all. And so now, Once we accept Him as Lord and Savior, once we do like the Scripture said last week, Romans ten and nine, that if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you truly did that from your heart, new life starts at that moment. And see, one one thing people, some people tend to think. Well, for one thing, most people think everybody going to heaven. Think you can live any kind of way and still go to heaven. Well, I heard a preacher say everybody is going to heaven, but everybody ain't staying. Because there will be the great white throne judgment that will take place in heaven. But if you find yourself standing in front of a great white throne, Hell gonna be your home. So people think now that I can just do whatever I want to. What God says in His in the Word, that ain't what He meant, and all of that stuff. Well, God means what He says, and He says what He means. So when it comes to salvation, we were born, not that we did anything wrong but the sin nature was passed down from Adam because we all came from one man. And when Adam messed up, wasn't Eve heard Doctor Tony Evans talking today. So Eve didn't have nothing to do with it. He didn't give Eve the covenant. He didn't tell Eve. He gave it to Adam. So when Adam messed up, and being that all of us came through the bloodline of Adam, just like Romans 5, the end of it talks about, whereas one man pretty much sold us into sin, one man, the second Adam, who is Jesus, bought us out of sin. And we were hell bound. And the only thing that could save us was the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about salvation, we talk about being rescued from eternal damnation. We talk about being saved from eternal life in hell. I used to hear an uncle of mine, and I didn't know really what it meant, but I always heard of hell. He would say, Well, I'm going to hell anyway. And that thing would bother me just to hear him say that so casually. I'm going to hell anyway. I do need to pause right here, Mason, and share with people that whether you believe it or not, whether you think it's true or not, hell is real. And people go there every day. Matter of fact, since we started this podcast, some people, somebody has died. And go to hell. And if you don't confess Jesus Christ. As the Lord and Savior of your life. I don't care about all this other stuff out there. I don't care what this group of people said I don't care what that group of people are saying. The Bible is true. Jesus is the son of the living God. Who came down to save man from their sins. He is the one that paid the price so that we don't have to spend eternity in hell. Somebody need to understand. He said, John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, look at the does in that. He says, I am the way, which means folks think there's another way. There isn't another way. He said, I am the truth. He is the absolute truth, as you say. And he is the only way to the Father. No man comes to the Father but by me.
1: I think the uh, number one thing that I believe people don't understand, especially people that are uh, basically on, un- they're not saved, is that we mentioned that salvation means to be rescued. Also, they don't think that they need to be rescued. Rescued from what? See, if you were out in the ocean and your boat starts to sink and did sink, and you were treading water and had been treading water for, for a long time, maybe a couple of hours or so, uh, you would look for somebody to rescue you because you knew that death is going to soon be imminent. It's going to soon happen quick, either by maybe a shark, or either by you just drowning because you're going to get tired, you know, fatigued out. And so if somebody came along and throwed you a life preserver, uh, you would grab a hold to that life preserver, because now that person is saving you or rescuing you from death. And so that was a purpose or a reason For that, you would look at it and you say, okay, well, if they hadn't thrown the life preserver for me, then I would have died. Well, Jesus is that life preserver. And it has been given to us on a cross to where now, as we were all on our way to hell because of the first Adam, what Adam did. Well, Jesus Christ comes as that second Adam, as you mentioned, to give us life. Well, Adam basically put us on the pathway to death. And and as you said, eternal death. But Jesus Christ comes along now as that second Adam and says, okay, if you want to live forever now, all you have to do is believe in the finished work that I've done on the cross for all of your sins. Because I said before, he paid a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay and so he was the only one that could do that and so when we look at it people have to understand uh why that's that's the question why do i need salvation i seem to be doing pretty good that's that's what they're saying you know every day you know every day uh, I'm, I'm working, uh, I'm, I'm pretty healthy and, uh, uh, I got food on my table, you know, a roof over my head, you know, a good job and nice little bank account, you know, so I'm, I'm doing pretty good. So life is good to me. So why do I need salvation? What do I need to be delivered? You know, well, you need to be delivered for one thing because you were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. All right? so God looks at all of us as being sinners because as you stated earlier it's been passed down through Adam and so all of us are sinners and we we're born in sin so we're we're, we're sinners uh, up until the point to where we ask Jesus Christ or we believe in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross and what that does, it brings in salvation once we believe that, you know, he frees us or he delivers us from that eternal damnation that you talked about before. And so we we have to look at it um, when you see yourself in that spiritual condition, then you know that you need a savior and Jesus Christ is the only one that can deliver us from that Death down, death uh, position that we're on our way to now. So when we, when we look at needing a rescuer, needing someone to come in and save us, they must first have to believe that they need to be rescued. They must first believe that they need a savior. If they don't believe that they need a savior because they don't have a reason to be saved, then they're not going to ask uh god for forgiveness and they're not going to believe on jesus christ because they don't believe that they need that
0: so we have a lot of people nowadays who feel salvation is the only way to heaven right, right. salvation through jesus christ right. is the only way to heaven we got people that believe they don't need Jesus to go to heaven. We got people who believe I could just be a good person and go to heaven. We got people who believe I could just do good things for people and go to heaven. I don't have to believe in this man that I can't see. Again. Folks often say that Christians are brainwashed. And my retort to that is I'm not just brainwashed, but I'm bloodwashed. Right. I've been washed in the blood. It's true. Of the crucified war. So what we have to get people to understand is, and it's hard because as the church, and I hate to put it this way, sings one song the world sings another. Mm -hmm. And the song that the world sings tends to be a whole lot louder than the song that the churches sing. It's true. Now, here's one of the biggest problems, and I mentioned this Sunday as I was preaching. One of the reasons that people don't come in the church, which is the home of the Christians, is because of the way Christians act in the church and outside of the church. Right. So we have people who say being a Christian is like what y'all doing, I might as well just keep doing what I'm doing. I might as well just live like I'm living because that's how you know that's how the deacon live, and that's how the pastor live, and that's how the deaconess and the trustees and the ushers live. They cuss more than I do. <laughs> They they drink more than I do. They they have more babies outside of their love than we do. And you know what? There is no excuse for a Christian doing some of the things that they do that we that we do that we know we should not do. Because the Bible tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now resides in us. Right. But what people don't understand, and this is somewhat from last week, and we're going to move on to sanctification here, is that's part of the problem, Mm -hmm. is that some people just stop at the salvation process.
1: Right.
0: Salvation is just the first step. Christians have a book that we are supposed to live by called The Holy Bible. That's it. Some people don't live by because they don't get in to see what it say. Right. All some people know is what the preachers say on Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. and they take that as the gospel. Sometimes it is. A lot of times it's not. Right. See, the messenger is already flawed, but the message is not. Right. Now we have messengers taking a flawless message and flawing the flawless message. I told people one time, I said, God will take an imperfect man, give him a perfect word to preach to imperfect people. Mm -hmm. And you got to look past the imperfect man to a point to hear the perfect word. Now, that imperfect man or woman is doing any and everything. You need to talk with God about whether that's where you're supposed to be. Right. Because Paul said, imitate me as I follow Christ. True. But as far as Christians and the salvation process, salvation is just the first step. After salvation, there is what we want to deal with tonight. And therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Right. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Sanctification, or to be sanctified, means to be set aside for the use of God or by the use of God. That's what it means to be sanctified, Mm -hmm. that you have been set aside to be used by God. Right. Uh, I pull this up it says what is the goal of sanctification so sanctification is the believer's cleansing or purging from the nature of sin this experience is not for sinners but for people who through grace are saved and reconciled to God this second work of grace makes the believer to be holy have the nature of God and reflect the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of sanctification. Here's a good um, example of sanctification. I think I used this before. Imagine getting up in the morning, not taking a shower, but just putting on some jogging clothes, and just Saturday morning, taking like a five-mile run. They're around five miles back. When you get to the house, you get out those sweaty clothes. You jump in the shower. And when you get out the shower, you don't put the old sweaty clothes back on. Right. You put on fresh clothes. That's right. That's what sanctification is. Taking off the old and putting on the The nature of Jesus Christ. That's right. It's becoming less and less of whoever you are and trying to become more and more like Jesus. You know, people used to sing that song, to be like Jesus. That's all I want to (laughs) be. To be like Jesus would mean so much to me. Well, we have a long way to go. (laughs) Long way. Long way. But we've been given what's necessary which is the spirit of God, to do it. Now, Colossians chapter 3 talks in verse 10, where actually it starts before then. It says in verse 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which sake, for which thing sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked some time, and you lived in them. Here it is right But now ye put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deed, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the after the image of him that created him. Sanctification is about pulling off and putting off.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, Listen to one of my teachers uh, uh, quoting uh, Chuck Swindoll. And uh, Chuck Swindoll gave a uh, real sort of clear explanation of sanctification to. And and I like what he said about it. He said, uh, he said, when we put out, put our trust in Christ, we were made righteous positionally. Now, he said, God declared us righteous and justified us because of the life and death of his son. But justification also, it marks the beginning of sanctification. It's the process of our becoming righteous practically. Meaning being set apart to God by the Spirit in order to grow out of sin and more fully into Christ. We will never be perfectly sanctified until heaven, but we will move toward perfection. We will change. And we will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, conform more and more to the will of God and live lives that are pleasing to him. Uh, he speaks of that in Romans 6 and verse 19. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, verse 3 through 7. And First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. He says, sin will always be present with us in this life, but its influence over us will be lessened over time in the process of sanctification. So he says, sin is is never going to leave in this life. The presence of sin is always going to be there. Paul even stated it over in the book of Romans. He said, whenever I wanted to do good, evil was always present always so sin is always going to be with us and 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 that's one thing uh people have to understand too some of them are not the understanding that once you get saved you accept christ as lord and savior then now you don't sin anymore because sin has basically by some type of way been erased been eradicated from your life you don't have to worry about sinning no more because now you've accepted christ and now that you have jesus or have the holy spirit living within you now then you don't sin anymore but galatians 5 talks about this battle that goes on uh between the flesh and the spirit so if sin is not there then what what are you fighting for why are you in this battle? Why you have this battle going on in you, to uh, where the spirit now wants you to live right and and uh, do righteous or godly things, but the old fleshly man still wants to hang on and still wants you to live the way you've always lived. So that's this battle going on. So if if sin has been completely erased and is not there. Then what what is the spirit fighting against? What what's going on now to where there's this battle, uh, basically for who's going to win dominion or who's going to have control over your life? And so when we when we look at sanctification, it's going to be the battle of who you let win or who you feed the most. Whoever you feed the most is going to win because that's going to be the one that's the strongest. And so, ever the strongest, we're going to win every time because the strong always have power and control over the weak. And so, when we look at sanctification, we look at over time, it's a process. And you don't get to be this Type of Christian that's uh, have had all of these victories over the sin, over the flesh, and over the devil uh, overnight. It happens over time, and you grow over time, and God is dealing with us as we grow. And what He's doing is, as we stated before, He's trying to conform us into the image of His Son. So the uh, process. It's basically a slow process and for some people some of the things that we struggle with after we get saved I might not struggle with some of the things you struggle with I may not struggle with and so for some people it's gonna take them longer in their sanctification process to grow to a certain level or a certain point where God is dealing with that individual individual uh, should I say individually, he's dealing with him or her on that way to where we're growing, but we all don't grow at the same rate. And so where it looks like a person may be struggling with this particular sin, you may not be struggling with it, but they may be. And So God may have to deal with them a little bit longer before they get to the point to where they can uh, have victory over their sin. So it's a process. Sanctification is going to be a lifelong process all the way up until Jesus Christ comes back or until you meet your appointment time and you die and go home to be with Jesus. It's going to be a process over time. Part of
0: the problem with the Christian life is... A Christian who does not do their best to live the Christian life. Mm-hmm. Because, see, grace is amazing when you think about it. It really is. And Paul asked the question in Romans 6 and 1, shall we continue in sin? that grace may abound. God forbid, he said. Mm-hmm. Now, some people, are, and you know we went there last year, used the Lord know my heart. But you have to understand that people are always watching anybody that calls themselves a Christian. Right. They're waiting to find any little thing to throw back at you now, what you just said is, is so true. This Christian life is a daily life. Paul mm-hmm. said in 1 Corinthians 15 and 31, at the end of that verse, he said, I die daily. Right. In verse 32, he says, if after the manner of men, I have fought with beasts and Ephesus, which advantage me, if the dead rise not, let us eat. drink." But he said, I die daily. Paul even said at one time, he said, I beat my body into subjection. Mm-hmm. And again, Romans 7, read Romans 7, started with verse 15. When I would do good, evil is present with me. Now, here's the problem with that statement. He says, when I would do good, evil is present with me. The very fact that evil is there means that good is there too. Mm -hmm. So now you you have to decide which of those two you're going to do. Right, You're going to pursue the evil or you're going to do what's good? Because you know that they both have consequences. But there is this struggle. If you can do wrong and it's not a struggle, check yourself. Right. But a Christian ought to always struggle before they do wrong. Now you just said something that something may not bother me that bothers you. Mm-hmm. or something that may not bother you that bothers me. Right. There is levels of growth in this Christian race. Mm-hmm. But for those of us that's been in this Christian race 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40 years, we we'll ought not be having the same problems. we we'll ought not be like a newborn babe. Now, you can expect a newborn babe to have problems. <laughs> Paul told him, he said, by now you should be further along than you are. And that is true. By now, a lot of Christians should be further alone and stop making that excuse, the Lord know my heart. Well, I ain't there yet. Well, I, I ain't what I used to be. I understand you ain't what you used to be, which is a good thing. Right? You used to be on your way to hell. Now you're on your way to heaven. That right there means you're not what you used to be. But for the Christian or for the person that claims to be a Christian and does not live the life, because remember, again, that word Christian, is a combination of Christ and a suffix, meaning to be of, from, or to belong to. So when you say you're a Christian, you say you're of Christ, you're from Christ, you belong to Christ. And if you of, from, or belong to Christ, then there are certain behaviors that we ought to exhibit daily. Right. There are certain ways that we ought to carry ourselves. There are certain things that folk ought to see from us every time they see us. Now, here's the thing Christians deal with real life stuff. Real life problems.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Every time you see a Christian, they talking about they blessed and highly favored in the Lord. Just say, okay, God bless you and keep going. Because if they ever told you the real stuff that was going on, they have you and them crying sometimes.
1: <laughs> That's true.
0: But one of the other problems with the Christian life is the person who does not live the Christian life, but watches Christians living the Christian life and want to judge every failure they make. The Bible asks the question, who are you to judge another man's servant? What gives a person to judge something that God already knew was going to happen? Every time a Christian mess up, it is not like it, it caught God off. off, off.
1: I, like he didn't know it was going to happen. Right, right.
0: Like it caught him off guard. He knew that, the Bible said he knows our thoughts so are hmm now, it is incumbent upon us to try to live a life that draws them towards us instead of pushing them away from us. And that's where a lot of them get judgmental, and a lot of them want to constantly say, I thought you was a Christian. You're supposed to be a Christian. That ain't what Christian's supposed to do. How is it that you know so much that a Christian's supposed to do and ain't supposed to do, and you're not a Christian? Right. How do you know what a Christian is supposed to be? You're not a Christian, so how do you know? That just hit me. How do you know what a Christian is and ain't supposed to do? Well, Jesus wouldn't cuss. Okay. I heard something. I think I just heard of Jesus. I think I heard somebody say Jesus and Mary Magdalene got married or something.
1: Yeah, I see. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but since you know what Jesus wouldn't do, you use Jesus as the standard. Right. Since you're telling me what Jesus wouldn't do, are you doing the opposite of what Jesus wouldn't do? Right. Since you're using him as the standard now. Mm-hmm. That makes Jesus right. Since you're saying Jesus wouldn't do such and such.
1: Right.
0: So you just agree with what Jesus said in John 14 and 6. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So why are you doing what you say Jesus would be doing? Don't that make them a bigger hypocrite than what they want to call us?
1: It does. It does.
0: And here's a news flash. All Christians aren't hypocrites. Right. Ain't going to that church. Nothing with a bunch of hypocrites up there. Stop going to Walmart. (laughs) Stop going to work. Stop going to Roses, TJ Maxx. Old Charles, <laughs> Home Star, to to Texas clubs. Roadhouse.
1: Don't go to clubs.
0: Stop going to the club. <laughs> Stop going to the flea market. Don't go to the car dealership because ain't nothing but a bunch of lying hypocrites in there. Don't go to the supermarket. Don't go out to eat. Just stay by yourself.
1: You better still Don't go home.
0: Well, you might have some hypocrites at home. <laughs> Let's say you might just want to stay by yourself. That's right. Don't go to the school when your kids start acting up. There's a bunch of hypocrites out there. Don't go to the concert now. you going to have Christians and non Christians in the concert. True. Don't go to no more sporting events. I don't care if your son or daughter is playing. Too many hypocrites out there. Yeah. But you know when people say that, you know what that represents? On one aspect, they actually given the church a level of respect they don't even understand they are. Right. Yeah. Because what they're saying yeah. is that the church should